You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Good morning. My name is Matt. If I haven't met you, I'm one of our pastors here at Grace. I just, uh, it's funny, I just, somebody I really care about, she came in with her boyfriend, and I go to her boyfriend, hey, how's it going? Uh, Nice to meet you. Uh, We met at the wedding. Ooh, hate it when that happens. We talked for hours. I'm like, oh, anyway, kidding. Um, Anyway, I oversee all of our student and college ministries here at Grace, a part of the preaching team, and it's good to be here with you guys today as we're starting a new series called The Gifts of Christmas. We're going to do this right up until uh, Christmas, so today we're going to look at the gift of hope, and then it's the gift of salvation, then the gift of God's presence with us, the gift of joy, and finally, on Christmas Eve, the gift of worship. So I hope you can be here. All these messages are going to kind of fit together, so um, come and let's worship the Lord together. Excuse me. So today I'm just going to simply begin by reading our text. And now I need to offer a little trigger warning for some of you guys. Today's text is a genealogy. And for those who brought friends, you're like, ooh, trust me. I think there's a lot of hope in this genealogy, and hopefully we can, um, we can find that together. So I'm going to just read it. Matthew had a good reason for starting his gospel this way, and hopefully at the end we can see that that is true. I'm going to read it, we're going to pray, and then we're just going to dive in and see what God has for us. Fair enough? Okay. You can read along with me if you'd like. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Jacob, Isaac the father, excuse me, the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Now, David's father was Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus... There were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This, my friends, say, knock it off. Stop it. This is, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray together. Ah, Father, I thank you that, that you desire to have a legitimate encounter with us today. 
And, and we desire that too. We, we want to meet you. We want to meet you in the word. Even this word that seems strange to us at first read, Lord, we want you to show up and we ask that you would do just that. We know that your spirit is with us as, as he always dwells with your people. So open our eyes and ears and help us to see really wonderful things in your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we're talking about hope today. And just so we're on the same page, when we're talking about hope, we're not talking about wishful thinking, right? We're not talking about, oh, I hope Matt doesn't read that genealogy again. I, I won't, but, you know, we're not talking about, ah, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, or I hope the Raiders beat the Chiefs. That would be uh, a misplaced hope. <laughs> but, um, but when we're talking about hope in the Bible, we're talking about um, a hope that actually expects something good in the future. It, it looks to something in the future, and it actually expects it to happen. Because the hope that we often find in the Bible is, is based on a promise that God has made or a covenant that he has established. And so as we, light the, as we lit this first candle of Advent this morning, we're all being kind of invited to come in and to reflect back on the hope of God's people in the past as they looked forward to the promises that he would fulfill. And we're also entering into our hope, not only the promise that God has fulfilled in our lives today, but the promises that he will fill, fulfill excuse me, one day in the future. And so how do the Gospels help us here? How do the Gospels help us with hope? Well, according to Matthew and all the other Gospel writers, and there's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, according to those guys, the, 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 the Gospel itself, the, the fact that Jesus came to this earth to, to die for people who had rejected him, to take our sins and our guilt and shame upon himself, go to a cross, be crucified in our place, only to rise and pour out his spirit into our lives. That gospel, according to them, that gospel is the greatest hope and the greatest news that this world has ever known. So as Matthew writes his gospel, he's, he's writing with this in mind. And, and Matthew is Jewish, okay? He's, he, he has been radically transformed by the, by the person of Jesus Christ. He's been filled with his spirit, and he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And Matthew starts off his gospel saying, this Jesus that I'm writing about, he, he is the king, because their expectation was that, that the, the, the people of that day who were still living under oppression of the Romans, they, they were still looking for this Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. They were looking for this deliverer king who would come and that would release them and restore them back as a kingdom to, together in a community. And so Matthew says, Jesus is that king. He is that one to come. And, and Matthew is not writing his story kind of divorced from the Old Testament. Matthew's picking up where Malachi left off. Matthew is a continuation of the story. And, and one of the words that characterizes Matthew's gospel uh, best, I, I think, would be fulfillment, because he's always saying things like this. He's always saying all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through his prophet. He, he uses this phrase over and over, and he's constantly quoting the Old Testament saying, what's happening here is what the prophet said would happen here. And so Matthew's way of showing how Jesus fulfills the, the Old Testament storyline is to begin, weirdly enough, with a genealogy. 
And so a couple things to point out about genealogies. Number one, they, they don't simply trace family trees. They do that. But they also trace royal lines of, of the history of Israel and priestly lines. And the Jews were meticulous in keeping these lists. As they also, they also determine who owns what property. So they, they, were, they were super important. Another thing to point out with Matthew's genealogy is, is that there's a unique symmetry to it, right? He, he talks about 14 generations here, 14 generations, 14 generations here. And I just want us to know that he's not, this isn't a, an exhaustive genealogy as we see maybe in the book of Luke, chapter 3. Matthew specifically leaves out a few generations because he's, he's, he's using a selective pattern for a specific purpose. And so Matthew is telling the story of God's faithfulness, how God's going to bless all nations through this king that's going to come. And, and the value of this list is not necessarily by, by looking at every individual specifically, rather looking at their place as God, in God's unfolding plan that culminates in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew does this by focusing on these three blocks of history. And if you know the Old Testament, you know kind of what was going on. From Abraham to David, this is the time when, when Israel rose from nothing and they rose into this great nation. I mean, you, you, you read the words of the Old Testament. Silver was as common as stones, they say, in the kingdom of David and Solomon. Amazing time. And the, the second period is from David to the exile. Unfortunately, the, the, the kings didn't continue to follow after the Lord, and, and David's son ended up setting up idols everywhere, and then the kingdom became divided, and they ended up in captivity in a place called Babylon. And this last section is from that time in Babylon when they started going back to the time when Jesus actually comes. So, so why does this matter? Well, let's look at the opening statement here. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This opening statement not only helps us understand um, Jesus' ancestral past, but it helps us understand his identity and his mission as well. Because it's important for Matthew to communicate. This Jesus didn't just pop up out of nowhere. I mean, he, he wasn't just some random guy trying to start a revolution like many others in that day. And for, for the Jew, this was vitally important. Because if Matthew was going to convince them that, that Jesus was the Messiah, he would have to kind of convince the Jewish mind of, of where Jesus came from. Because they would have known the, the, the lineage that, that would produce the Messiah. These guys knew their Old Testament. They knew the promises of God. And so that's why Matthew begins his gospel this way. He says, look, look he didn't just pop out of nowhere. And so he mentions two people that are significant in the Old Testament, super significant, King David and Abraham. So why does he start this way? What is the significance of saying that Jesus is the son of Abraham? By doing this, Matthew is connecting Jesus with the father of the Jewish people. If you were with us last week, Gary was teaching out of Genesis 11, and it was in Genesis 11 we saw the people that... God had told his people after the big flood and everything, he said, go, spread, multiply, fill the earth. Well, in Genesis 11, you see the people saying, nah, I think here's a better idea. Let's gather together, let's build a tower, and let's make a name for ourselves apart from God. And so, you know, you remember, God comes down, and in his gracious judgment, he scatters the people. 
Well, it's out of that scattering that he begins gathering his people together in chapter 12. And how does he do it? He does it with this guy named Abraham. And he calls Abraham, and he, and he calls him to something great. Look what he promises him. The Lord comes to this guy, and he's just this nomadic wanderer, and he says, go from your father's country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And then he reinforces it in 18. Shall I hide what I'm about to do to Abraham, or from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. So there's this huge promise. God's going to bless all the nations through this guy and his family. Well, so our question, well, how's that going to happen? And, and that's, a, that, that, that's a logical question because as you read on through Genesis and Exodus, you realize, what well, hasn't happened. How is, how is this man going to be a blessing to all nations? And so Matthew is showing that by connecting Jesus with Abraham, by showing his connection, Matthew is bringing our attention back to the, back to the plan of God for the nations. He, he's going to bless the nations. And he's showing that Jesus is, in fact, the son of Abraham. He is his offspring or seed, as we'll see in a minute, who will bring the blessing of God to all humanity. But how? Great question. Let's look at the next guy. He calls him Jesus is the Messiah. He is also the son of David. Now, he loves this term son of David. He mentions it 10 times in his gospel. Okay, because he is, is writing, his point is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic hope. Jesus is the son of David. And, and what promises were made to King David? Remember, this is a great passage in 2 Samuel 7. God says to him, your house and your kingdom will endure for me before me for." excuse me, endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever, an eternal throne. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So the promise is clearly made to David and to his descendants, but you read the story and you, and you see the kingdoms collapsing. And, and then, then you wonder, how is this going to happen? Because there, there, there is no more kingdom. I mean, it's being, it's being destroyed. It's being taken over. They're being dragged away. And you keep running up against these royal son promises as you go through the Old Testament, like Psalm 2, a classic passage. God saying to the son, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. Or in Psalm 72, endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he endure through all generations. May he rule from the ends of the earth. May all the kings bow down to him. May all nations serve him. May his name endure forever. So according to the scriptures, there's going to be this king, and all nations are going to bow down to him. He's going to possess the earth. Who is this king? I mean, we've never seen this king, and these people, they had never seen this king. The kingdom is shattered at this point. And so there's this huge promise made to Abraham, and there's this huge promise made to David, and the one made to David brings us back to the promised king that God promised David. And so he's showing that Jesus is the long-awaited son of David who will usher in God's eternal kingdom. 
And as he goes throughout his gospel, you're going to see Jesus as, as the king he truly is. Now the third section, this time from the exile to the Messiah. This was, some of the, this was the darkest days of Israel's history. I mean, God continued to warn his people, turn back to me. Don't go that way. It's going to end really bad. And he sent his prophets and they mocked him. God's not going to judge us. He's not going to bring. We're his people. We're children of Abraham. And God warned and warned and they continued to reject and reject. And so finally the judgment of God came and they were decimated and they were dragged. Some by hooks in their note, they were dragged back to Babylon, oppressed, decimated. Listen to the psalmist in 137. He captures this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. He said, sing us one of the songs of Zion or Jerusalem. Sing. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're still in this foreign land if they had only listened to the Lord and turned back to him for for forgiveness and, and mercy? But they wouldn't do it. And they went into captivity. But even in this time, God continually, graciously sent his word of hope. Listen to the words of Ezekiel. At this time, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David. Now remember, David's long dead. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the son, the promised one to come. My servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And as you look at this decimated people, coming out of the exile. And at the same time, you're believing that God is going to fulfill his promise. You realize that it's not going to be because of his people's righteousness. God is going to fulfill his promise, and it's going to be in spite of his nation's sinfulness. The grace of God here is amazing. And it is only by that grace that there remained this faithful remnant that continued to, against all hope, they continued to trust in the promises that God said, that Ezekiel brought, and later as they're back, that, that Zechariah brought. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. What king? Where's the king? Zechariah says, hang on. He's coming righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, and quietly, And faithfully, God preserved this remnant of people who held out hope against all odds because they believed in the promise of God. Matthew is showing us in this genealogy that Jesus is the one who will bring the blessing to all the nations. Jesus is, in fact, the king that that will bring the kingdom. And he's going to do it despite his people's unfaithfulness. He's going to do it because he has spoken the word and he is faithful to fulfill his word. It's an amazing story. And something else that's crazy about this list is you start looking at the names on this list. If you and I were making this list and it was our family history, we'd certainly erase some of these characters out of this list. Right? You guys laugh because, well, some of you are those characters that we probably, I mean, let's be honest, I'd probably erase myself. Um, But, and, and it's interesting that he lists these women, on this list because women were never included in these ancient genealogies. 
And so for Matthew to list women on there, it, it, it must be significant. Especially these women, because all four of them are, are, are either non-Jewish or they're tied to non-Jewish families. You mean God includes outsiders and strangers in his family? And just look at these women. I don't know if you know their story, but, but Tamar was the one who tricked her father-in-law, dressed up as a prostitute, had sex with him because he wouldn't give her his son that he was supposed to. So she took care of, she took matters into her own hands. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute. Ruth, Ruth was a despised Moabitess and Bathsheba, who's not even mentioned by name. She was the one that we read about who had that adulterous affair with David. I mean, this is one messed up family tree. Canaanites, prostitutes, Moabites, all who were associated with Israel's sin and their covenant failure. And here they are, right in the genealogy of the Lord. And what about these men? I mean, these, Abraham, we know from the New Testament, Abraham is said to be, it was accounted to him righteousness because he believed the Lord. So the faith of Abraham is great. But wasn't this also the guy that, that strolled into to, to town with his wife and he says, oh, by the way, sweetheart, tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me and, by, and I'm going to give you to the Pharaoh and you're going to become one of his wives. All oh, the ladies shaking their head, that's right. Yeah, he did that. He did that, and then, and, and, and not only that guy, but uh, Judah, he's the, he's the one in Psalm 38 that actually turns out to be the one that's less righteous than Tamar, because he withheld his son that, that he was supposed to give to her, which would have given her a family and security and, and a significance in that culture, and he didn't do it. And what about the king? You know David's story. You've heard that great Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah, he sings about it. But David's story, and it's in the Bible, by the way. Uh, David's story, he, he sees Bathsheba, he takes his friend's wife, has sex with her, has a child by her, and then to cover up the scandal, has her husband killed. And this is just a few. And this is the line that produced the Messiah, the Son of God, the King and we look at this list and we say, what a messed up family tree. Or maybe we look at this list and say, man, what an incredible triumph of grace. I mean, God uses all these people. And if Jesus had these kinds of people as his forebearers, none of us should be surprised that he has the same kind of messed up, broken people as his followers today. And Matthew's getting ready to introduce us to the one who is the friend of sinners. He's getting ready to introduce us to the one who did not come to call the righteous and the well put together, but to call sinful people to himself. Matthew makes it clear that God's ways of getting things done include things that we, we would never imagine. His, his plans include events we would have never designed, and they include people that we would by nature exclude. Jesus' family, the excluded, seemed to be included. So this genealogy tells us that God is faithful to his promises. He's going to bless all the nations. Um, how's he going to do it? He's going to do it by bringing his son, Jesus Christ. Look what, look what uh, Matt, or Paul says about the promises in Galatians. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but as to your seed, who is Christ. Jesus is the promised one to come. 
He is the one who will bring blessing to the nations. Remember how Matthew ends. Jesus is standing there. He's been killed. He's been resurrected. And, and he, he is standing there with his disciples. And he tells them, go into all the nations now. Right? Preach the gospel. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Right? That's how the blessing is going to go throughout the nations. It's going to be as Jesus proclaims the gospel, as Jesus teaches his disciples, they receive his spirit, they're empowered, the apostles go out, they tell the story, they proclaim the gospel, people get saved, and all of a sudden, it starts spreading across the nations. That's how Jesus is a blessing to all nations. And what about the king? Well, the kingdom came with the king. Remember when Jesus walking around, what happened? Well, the deaf start hearing, the blind start seeing, those who are lame start walking, the kingdom is proclaimed, and it starts small, Matthew says, like a mustard seed. But it will continue to grow and expand. And how does that happen? Through the proclamation of the gospel. They go into all nations and tell people, look, you can be right with God, and you can't do it yourself, and you can find forgiveness, and you can receive his spirit, and you do it by grace through your faith. And the gospel goes out and the kingdom begins to expand. You guys are going to see a really great picture of the kingdom right here on Friday night. When, when we open the doors to some of these families, they're, they're marginalized. They're kind of kicked to the curb. The, the system kind of oppresses some of them. Well, they're going to come in here and we're going to love on them. We're, we're going to humble ourselves and generously give to them. We're going to serve them in humility, just like our king served us. It's amazing. But that's the kingdom. The kingdom come with, came with Jesus. And the third aspect of this, these, these uh, generations, you know, the longing of the exiles, we, we sing about that this time of year, don't we? O come, O come, Israel, or Emmanuel, come Emmanuel, to, to ransom captive Israel who mourns in lowly exile here. You can just hear in that song, God, we used to be great, now we're nothing. We're decimated, and it's our fault. And as they're going back from captivity, and where, where are our hopes going to be met? Who's going to meet our fears? And we're about to sing that song. Because according to Matthew, the hopes and fears of all the years for these people is met in Jesus right here. He's the one. It all points to him. So Matthew's genealogy shows that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. Which is why... Jesus in John 5, when he's talking to the religious leaders, he says, look, you guys study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you will have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that talk about me. It's all been about Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Matthew demonstrates that. And that's just the first 17 verses of his gospel. And so what, what, what does it mean for us? What are some takeaways we can learn. Well, the first and most obvious is this. Jesus is the king. Matthew says that you can trace his family line all the way back to King David. He's got the credentials to be the king, and as you read through his gospel, you see he's, he's got the actions of the king. Jesus is the king. And scripture tells us that, that, that there's a day coming when, ev when every tongue will, will confess, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who have embraced him as king and been brought into his family will do so willingly, avoid judgment, and enter into life. But those who disregard him as king, those who harden their hearts, 
They too will bow, but they will do so unwillingly. And they will enter in, into judgment and they will be eternally separated from the very thing they're looking for, the source of life. Don't miss the king. Matthew's saying, there, there, there's nowhere, no other king coming. Do not miss this king. The second thing, and don't let, ever let this phrase become cliche in the church. God is the sovereign, sovereign and faithful to his promises. Nothing stopped the promises of God. I mean, David's criminal act with Bathsheba should have destroyed everything. But God chose to use the son from that relationship and bring forth his Messiah through that, through that sin. I mean, even that didn't stop him. It, the, even, even the, uh, I mean, just think about some of these wicked kings that are in this list who rejected, Jesus, who rejected God at the time, yet even they couldn't stop it because they were carrying the Messiah in their very loins and they didn't even realize it. It's, it's, it's an amazing testimony to the sovereignty of God. Even the hopelessness of imprisonment couldn't stop God's plan. He is in sovereign control of life and history, and because of that, we need to trust him, and he is worthy of our praise. And do you trust him like that? And I know some of you, and this is, this is emotional for me, some of you are going through some really hard and significant things right now in your lives. There's, there's some people in our congregation that are sick. Some are facing death. And this does not diminish the fact that what you're facing is horrible. What you're facing is scary and, and, and real. But it gives you an anchor that holds you. Okay, it reminds you of the promises that you have in Christ today. That he is with you. He'll always be with you. And no matter what happens to you, that one day we will all be together, healed, whole, no more sickness, no more tears. And, and, and in, in the midst of that, God will be there with us. And I'll tell you what, you know, when my mom died five years ago and my brother died a year after that, and my dad died three months ago, almost wrecked me. But I'll tell you this, the reason it didn't, the reason that I stand before you proclaiming the word of God is because I know his faithfulness. And those in my, my family, those people, they died holding on to the promises of God. I know I'm going to be with them. And that right there, that's an anchor for my soul. May this word be an anchor for your soul. God's, God's interactions are with actual people like you and me, not, not ideal people. Everybody said amen to this one because some of us still have the weird idea that, that God only accepts people that have their act together or the quote-unquote good people and rejects the bad people. Look at the family line. Right? These guys are moral outcasts. There's Gentiles and Jews, male and female, wicked people, and, and th those who have turned to God. Rich guys like Solomon, poor people like Ruth, people that are wanderers like Abraham, and people that are established like David. The Bible says that none of us are unaffected by sin. Right? All of us need a Savior. Now, some of you behave worse than others, but the bottom line is, all of us need a Savior, and the good and bad in the world's eyes, it doesn't matter. We all are stuck before God, and we need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. And he's come to actual people that are messed up and broken and not ideal people. And just in case no one's told you this lately, you're not an ideal person. Okay, and neither am I, right? We're not ideal, so we say praise God for this, which leads me to the next point. The humility of God is astonishing to me. I mean, think about, who's ever heard of a humble king? 
A king who humbles himself and becomes a servant in order to lift broken and messed up people like you and I up as we humble ourselves before him. I mean, he could have just kept a pristine bloodline for the Messiah. No, no, he identifies with us. He truly is the one who is acquainted with our griefs and sorrows, even in his family history. He bore our infirmities. And I love that about him. He takes on flesh, and not just any flesh, the very dregs of society. And do you know the king like this? And are you humble like our king? How can any of us allow pride to reign in our hearts when our king humbles himself like this? he's, He's amazing. I hope you know him like that. He desires to heal our brokenness and to be with us. This genealogy demonstrates that, that uh, from, from Joseph, or Abraham to Joseph, we have a chronicle of flawed and sinful and broken people. And God sees all of it. And the critical difference is not their sinfulness. All stand guilty. The critical difference is what did they do with it? I mean, you got one king who, who had this legacy of 50 years, and then at the end of his life, he hardens his heart against God and, and, and won't humble himself before the Lord. And in the same list, there's this, this king that, that, that was horrible and wicked for 50 years, yet when God humbles him, he turns back and he com- turns to the Lord and God receives and forgives him. So the only difference between these people is, is whether they will humble themselves. And the only difference for us today is whether a man or woman will be honest about their sin and, 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 do, and take it to God instead of trying to hide and run away from God. Because it's those people that find hope. It's those people that find forgiveness. And Jesus has come to forgive us and to be and to heal with us. But this is the best part. He's come to be with us. Some of you don't believe that. He wants to be with you. It's incredible truth that the God of all creation wants to be with us. Because he cares for us. And have you thought about that lately? Worship team, you guys come on up. He wants to be with us. And finally, the gospel is for all, our, all people, and it's our story to tell. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a proclamation of something that he has done, not something that you have to do. You couldn't do it. The gospel says that God provided his son to be the atoning sacrifice for the world and for those who believe in him by faith. Receive him by grace through faith. To them, those are the ones that become children of God. People come up to me and tell me, you know what, Matt, God would never do something like that for me. He gave up on me a long time ago. You know what I say? You don't know him. You don't know the God of the scriptures. I mean, the very fact that we have Advent and a coming shows us that that he cared enough to send his son to come into this world for, for broken, wretched people like us and say, you know what, I love you. I want to be with you. You need to receive me and accept my sacrifice in your life so that I can restore you and begin to make you whole and pour out my spirit into you. I know I didn't get to the very last point of the sermon. Um, The gospel is our story to tell. Now I know we were joking with our students a couple weeks ago actually about some of you guys, because you're the parents. And they were saying, uh, yeah, you know, my, my dad, he just came home. He was all upset because they, they won't say Merry Christmas at Walmart. They only say Happy Holidays. Well, guess what? It's not Walmart's story to tell. It's our story to tell. So maybe instead of getting bent out of shape like we, we can, um, 
Man, tell the story well. Tell it in, in how you love one another. Tell it in how we serve one another and those people on the, on the outskirts and the marginalized. Invite strangers home to, to your table. I mean, be careful, but, you know, do it. I mean, I, the scripture says that, right? I mean, find ways to, to look like our king. And come, and I, if you're not signed up, come sign up and come Friday night and let's serve the community well. Uh, there's prayer teams over here. Oh, there's a prayer team over here. Heck, I'll pray with you. Come see me. Um, if, if you'd like to pray with somebody, do that. If you want to talk more about Christ, come. I, I'd love to talk with you. And also, next is down the hall, and don't be afraid to go say, tell Daniel how much you love him and how thankful you are for his service. Let's pray together. Father, you're good. We love you. We love your word. Thank you for the transforming power it has in our lives. Pray that you, your spirit would again fill us today and uh, motivate, guide us, lead us to, to make, a, make a difference. As old Gary says, be troublemakers in this world for the gospel, Lord. I pray that we would be that this holiday season. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.